Before this episode starts, just a quick content warning for those listening. Um, There are very brief mentions of suicide and rape, but no detail is um, really gone into. I hope you enjoy. Uh, I'm Jackie. I'm Liz. And welcome to Queerly a Podcast, where we just kind of do random-ass queer things once a week. Um... Yeah, uh, I'm she, her, I'm a lesbian. <laughs> uh, my pronouns are they, them. I identify as a queer bisexual person. Yeah. This is your uh, weekly dose of queer conversations from two people who only vaguely know what they're doing. Who have, but we... I've taken no no sexual uh, sexual studies, literature, any of that. Despite being at a liberal arts college. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. None of this is gender gender critical studies, no feminist. We have not read any books, well, on this subject. I have uh, read Kant, and that's it. That's the closest I've got to Kant. <laughs> <laughs> Kant, the closest I've got to Kant. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so we, uh, we're here to kind of just, you know, talk about our lives, our interests, um, we're two, uh, queer people who just need an outlet to, uh, kind of just rant, rave, review, all the, all the R verbs that we can think of, um, when it comes to being a queer person and engaging in queer media and learning about ourselves and hopefully learning about other people and other things as well. This is going to be, uh, quite the journey. I hope, uh, and we're glad to <laughs> embark on it. Yeah. Welcome, welcome aboard the, uh, queer train. Toot uh, toot. <laughs> fasten your seatbelts. It's, it's gonna be some sort of ride. Jackie, I don't think they have seatbelts on a train. Yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> the queer train does. The queer train. It's, you yeah. know it's gonna be fucking off the rails and, like, flying somewhere. It's like that. This? It's like that school bus in uh in Sky High. Do you remember that? Yes, yes, yes. Oh my God, I love oh. that movie. Spe- speaking of, and we weren't speaking of this, but speaking of formative queer media, um, yeah. the <laughs> female lead in Sky High. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> maybe one of Who's, my first childhood hold crushes. Hold on, wait. Let me look up her name because I feel I like think her name was Ivy. I feel like her. Was, yeah, her name was. But I mean the uh, the actress. Oh. Because we need to do our justice. 2005 god damn dude um okay here we go here we go uh like her name was layla williams so no i made a name up danielle panabaker well no because wasn't her her superhero name was like ivy or something right they gave they had like superhero names uh because one of them was like i think they just had names (laughs) no 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 way hold on Oh god, looking at grown up like the main character. Oh god. <laughs> the main character grown up. Can I just say I don't think Will Stronghold deserved Layla Williams. Oh no, not at all. Oh my god, she's 34. Oh god. Dude, no. She was in Mad Men of apparently for like one episode. <laughs> I don't know, I didn't watch. Oh, Mad she was Men. in Bones? Oh damn. Yeah, this podcast is uh, Liz and Jackie read uh, IMDb articles. 
Yes, basically. Us going on random ass tangents. This is most of my day is just IMDB and going, hmm. Huh. And then looking at ages and feeling sad. <laughs> oh, yeah. 34 years young. Okay, I, f- I have to find, because she, they use the name Ivy. I swear to fucking God. She's based off of Poison Ivy. Well, yeah, but like, also, okay, fucking, um, the, have you watched, uh, the animated Harley Quinn show? Yeah, yes I have. There's, there's some more, there's some more, uh, queer Kino there. Yeah, so one of, I think our goals is to kind of give us some space to sort of talk about, um, queer media that, like, either, I think, or, or media that isn't even queer, but, like, influenced, influenced us as queer youths, um, mm-hmm. and part of that, well, a big part of both, uh, Jackie and I's, I think, sort of cultural background is cartoons. Yeah. Um. Early I 2000s, grew, yeah. like, childhoods, and then, like, t- 2010s and all that, so. And now I'm an adult and I still love cartoons. Same. So. Yeah, we're cartoon adults. Um, it's, it's, it's not a phase, Mom. It's an underrated art form. It's... Totally. Yeah. Like, there's some cool-ass shit out there. And there's also just, like... You have your trash show in live action. You have that in, in animation, too. It's like, you have the same uh, range and quality. But that doesn't mean that there's no upper, like, crazy-ass good shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, Exactly. Totally. Um, but you were saying about the Harley Quinn show? Yeah, no, that's super. I like some of the jokes I will say, it's kind of like hit or miss, but the ones that hit, they're like they're they're pretty damn good. Um, and then also the way that they do sexuality, I guess, or like how how fluid it is in the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's not, like, a huge focus, but it's, like, a thing. Poison Ivy gets with spoilers. Poison Ivy gets with uh, Kite Man and then with uh, Harley Quinn. But there's no, never, like, Kite Man asking, like, oh, like, what the fuck? Like, did you love me? It's more of, like, why are you leaving me? I loved you. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's not like, uh, it's not like Kite Man is, like, since when were you gay or whatever. Yeah. We, We don't spend, I think, um, something that's important to see nowadays um, is not just explorations of people discovering that they're gay, but also people just being the sexualities that they are mm-hmm. with and without labels, without really having to question it. Like we've seen enough, I think in media, we've seen enough like cruel or, or just sad or very nerve wracking coming out stories yeah. that it gets to a point where we just kind of need to be like, Oh yeah, this character is queer. And that's like, not it's not a trope of theirs like they're not a gay best friend or whatever but they're also like it's also not like a shocking element of their person of their personality or of their of their character and so harley quinn does that quite well uh especially as poison ivy and harley quinn both have previous male uh attachments and love interests but they both you know they still like love each other and that's not something that's like harley quinn being in love with the joker not only is shown to be super toxic, which is, like, amazing, because mm-hmm. for whatever reason, modern interpretations of the Harley Quinn Joker romance really doesn't show how toxic it is. They also don't uh, show her, like, understanding that it's toxic a lot of the time. Like, even if it is yeah. toxic, they usually don't show her as, like, a victim within that. 
Exactly, and she never gets to reclaim her. Like, I think that's another thing that um, people find interesting between the, I will say, main thread of, like, the Suicide Squad movies and Harley Quinn, uh, the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn or whatever. I'm never saying that movie title again. (laughs) That is never, ever going to be said by me because uh, this is an audio medium and... That is a horrible title to have to say. <laughs> that is for why for someone who trips over their tongue constantly. That is why they have again. the. That's why they have the two title. It's that and then Birds of Prey, and I just, I just default. <laughs> All right, Birds of Prey. I, I, I love how I, I didn't even remember that it was called Birds of Prey. But there's like a distinct. There's a distinct sort of like handling of the two, of of the relationship between like. Admittedly, I didn't see the first Suicide Squad. Uh, I mean, movie good. because That's I don't waste thing. my money on absolute trash. Oh god, I saw I try it in theaters, to. dude, with my family. Ooh, we had you. seen. I think it was because I think it came out around the time of Wonder Woman. We had seen that, and then my sister really wanted to see it because she had seen all the media about like, oh, they had to go to therapy after Jared Leto was like, uh, in, like a uh, method acting, and they sent rats. To, he sent dead rats to the co-stars, and it's like, oh, oh god. <laughs> It's bad. It's boring. I, I too would need therapy if I met Jared Leto, but that's just because he's a dick. Like Yeah, I never I like never got people who liked him, to be honest. He just gets yeah. off weird vibes. No, I cannot I cannot tell I cannot even think of a movie that I've seen that had Jared Leto in it that I enjoyed. I don't even know that I've seen a movie with Jared Leto in it. He's just not a factor. He is, you know what, you know what, I will, about the Suicide Squad, the first one, the the non- The one without the the. The one that wasn't bad. (laughs) (laughs) The one that was bad, the one that was bad. Oh, god damn. The one one that didn't have the at the very beginning, just- Yes, okay. That one, that one is an example of something that I'm going to start terming straight people media. There are certain things that are like capital S, capital P, straight people media, and I think that that is what is an example of that. I'm gonna make a running list. We're gonna get it. We're gonna get get down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make a list. The science of of what straight people media is. Pin in our chat. (laughs) Yeah. So with the animated show. There's actually a comic that it's basically after the show. Um, it's called, I think, Eat Bang. No, uh, Eat Kill Bang Tour. Yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> great title, right? It's a, um, it's a great title. It is. Uh, and so there's, I think there's like five or six um, currently out issues. Uh, and first, just the art style, like a lot. Um, if you look it up, it's very. Ooh, bug. It's very, it's very uh, expressive and like, it isn't, it isn't exactly one to one with the show, but I think in a good way. Um, I think it like provides more character, uh, not not as much like on model, uh, like Benton Alien Force esque like animation inspired. <laughs> um, God, now that you say that, yeah, it is very, it is very Benton, right? <laughs> um, and it. The way it depicts um, Harley Quinn and Ivy, because, again, spoilers, at the end they run off, uh, 
as a couple just it's the sweetest it's the sweetest thing it is but it follows directly like from that and you have like a honeymoon phase and then you also have them realizing their own faults that can affect the relationship and how they uh acknowledge and need to work on them and they each have their thing it's not like one of them has this like one issue and that's like the reason that they need to fully change for the relationship to work. It's like both of them have these issues that they need to work through together. And it's really, really sweet how they do it. And then their interactions and all that. I, uh, I think that, okay, first of all, I eat that shit up with a spoon, right? I am kind of tired with media ending, ending their stories on a relationship as if the buildup to creating a relationship is the, like, I'm tired of having a, like, going steady moment or a whatever moment be the climax or the the finale of a relationship as if, like, watching people pine for two or three seasons is fun for anyone. Like, <laughs> it can be interesting, but the fact that... I, I, I haven't read the comics, but the fact that the way you describe the comics seems to actually be exploring, okay, they made a... Dis- they made kind of a... Not a rash decision, because you can tell there's... uh Because... In my opinion, it was handled very well, the sort of chemistry that was built up between Harley Quinn and Ivy. But the idea that, like, okay, they're in this relationship now. The dynamics have changed slightly. How have the, those dynamics changed? And, and you know, the, the separate issues that Harley and Ivy have, which are seen throughout the show as, you know, they both have, like, deep personal traumas and issues. The fact that, like, it is showing, even if it's not in the show, but in the comics, showing us that, like, how a relationship evolves while the relationship happens. Like, I feel like too often in things we're supposed to be like, okay, your your ship or whatever, your your characters have gotten together, we're done here. Like, we did all the, the storytelling, now it's just happily ever, ever after. But the idea that it, like, continues that story and that growth is really super cool. And, I, and that's why I like media, which it feels rarer, at least maybe it's the media I consume, to see characters working through a relationship rather than the relationship being sort of like the pin that we put in the series. Yeah. Does that make any sense? No, that does, definitely. Because you see things like, at least I've, I've seen some like media like that, but usually it's with, again, like, a, as you do, uh, it's mostly just with straight people. So, like, essentially, uh, I was, like... It makes me think most recently of watching Marriage Story, which I'd been wanting to watch for a while because my parents are divorced. So, like, I've gone through that and I wanted to see how it was depicted as well as the differences. And, like, because obviously it, every situation That's where different, Kylo Ren punch, punches a wall, right? Yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> um, yeah, they do. They both do really well in it and show, like, how the conflict builds. Um, and so... There's, I don't know, I I feel like there's some, there's almost some hesitance when it comes to media portrayals of LGBT uh, plus uh, uh, relationships that are, that have, like, toxic or unhealthy elements, but portrayed in a healthy human way. Like, like, them acknowledging it. And then either having to move on from each other because of it or have to work through it. You see that all the time with all these straight ones. But I think it's because people feel as though they have to make it super bland or um, like background elements, essentially. They can't be like the main 
it can't be the main like subject of a story so they don't have the they don't have the amount of space to like fully explore it so like the, I, i've never actually watched a show voltron but <laughs> i've seen uh i've seen a long <laughs> long critique of it and so like one example is the apparently they did some big big bad queer baiting uh toward the end um, that's about the only thing okay i know two things about voltron and two things only mm-hmm. uh that everybody was uh angry about this queer baiting that i i know nothing about and two people didn't realize that the mustache man with the elf ears was voiced by reese darby, reese darby? <laughs> those are the two things i know about voltron <laughs> i know jeremy shot is in it the guy who played finn in uh adventure time oh for real yeah he's he's one of the he's one of the main white guys He's one of them. I don't like, know which one. There's like two. There's two with like short hair. One of them re- wears a red coat and one of them doesn't. Yeah, see, I'm I'm at a <laughs> loss here. I, uh, I have like very big memories. I know but, that there's a guy called Keith. And I know that there's a guy called Lance. And I, I think, think there's a Lance. And there there was queer bang between those two, I think, from what I remember. Was that the was that the Okay. I know that there's a really pretty princess character. Whose name I do not know, but she's gorgeous, and she appears to be maybe the only woman in the entire show. <laughs> um, or one, no, one of the characters is like a girl who pretends to be a of guy, like for the. Wait, first one of the characters Mulans themselves. Yeah, basically. Hmm. Like at first, people thought it was just like an either a non-binary or trans or something character, and then it's just straight up like, I'm a girl. I just needed oh. to be a boy to get in here. It's like, bro, what? Excuse Wait, you ha- you're telling me not only did they queer bait, they also had the opportunity to um, mm-hmm. have a trans or non-binary character, and they said, no, we're going to do the old-timey thing of having a girl dress up as a boy mm-hmm. so that they could do the generally male-restricted role. Adios mio. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sending you for later uh, an example to... Of the fucking uh, Harley Quinn comic to look at. It's really well done. I actually love it so much. Oh, yes, please do. Waiting for the next uh, thing to come out. But, um, where, what the fuck were we talking about? I don't know. See, this is, I think this is gonna be quite exemplary of the way that we hold conversations, which is just like we go in, we're like, we're gonna talk about these things, and then we don't get to it. Honestly? (laughs) Because we get distracted. Honestly, maybe this will fucking. Maybe this this recording session will just turn into like two episodes. <laughs> yeah, I think we we could do a two part. Probably. We could do a two part pilot, like like lost. But, yeah, but we're lost instead. Oh, I feel so lost right now. I feel absolutely unmoored. Um, I was dropped in the middle of the rainforest without a compass. Uh, I'm very naked and afraid right now. I'm back in Nam. <laughs> You're ba- back. Dude, I'm I'm adopted from Nom. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. That you were Vietnamese. <laughs> well, I didn't forget you were Vietnamese, but I mean, yeah, I get it. No, I get it. I get it. <laughs> well, well, you said Nom, and I was like, the war. <laughs> you can cut that. That can be cut. No, we're keeping. <laughs> no, we're keep, oh, we're we'll, keeping. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it flows with everything. Um, 
okay. are flowing l- much like, uh, we're flowing like, I don't know, like concrete flows. Molasses on a cold ass day. <laughs> we're flowing much like, I can't think of anything that's not a liquid right now for the sake of this metaphor. <laughs> Flowing like jello. Flowing like soap. I'm literally We're flowing like rocks right now. Like a brick. Yes, flowing like a brick. Yeah. Um, should we should we jump to um to should we jump to Owl House, I guess? Oh yes, please. Okay. <laughs> like we went from Sky High to Harley Quinn, all five iterations. And then we went to um, Voltron, Voltron, which neither which of us neither have of actually us have watched. <laughs> Just what we've learned from cultural osmosis, yeah, uh, which appear, which seems to be uh, close to nothing. YouTube, YouTube, uh, hour long plus critiques, man. That's where I get my my news on a <laughs> on it. I get mine from Tumblr posts that are way too long, and I just scroll past them. So it's like whatever I see of the first couple sentences of the post. That's how I learn things. The only the only times I've used Tumblr are like to look at specific artists when they like post it there but don't post it elsewhere type things, but I haven't actually looked at like text posts. The great porn ban of twenty <laughs> what was it, twenty twenty or something? That moved a lot of people to, to Twitter, so I can see why <laughs> Only I, fans and Tumblr, man. Yeah. Key demographics. <laughs> All right, yeah, um, we're, we're in our little bubble. It's I'm the Tumblr queer represent, representative on this podcast. Um, okay, Owl House. <laughs> let's get let's get back. Uh, um, first of all, uh, thank you, Dana Terrace. <laughs> oh, big ups to CT Native. Yeah, CT. We're both Dana we're both Terrace. from Connecticut. This this is our this is our shit. Yeah. Also, Three. Connecticut underrated state. Taxes suck, yes. But landscape and people and like the atmosphere, top notch. Oh, yeah. Well, here's the thing. I uh I realized a couple of years ago that the Titan uh of the Boiling Isles was very potentially inspired by the sleeping giant. Oh uh, yeah, range yeah. In That's Western what, Connecticut, I had been I had thought about that because Dana is from I believe she's from Danbury, yeah, which is close to where the sleeping giant mountain range uh, park is. And if you haven't had the chance to visit beautiful Connecticut and sleeping giant mountain range, um, it is basically a set of mountains, all, or some people it, might call them hills. <laughs> is it in the Hanging Hills? Yes, I believe it's part okay. of the Hanging Hills. And the Hanging and Hills aren't aren't as uh aren't as intimidating as they sound. Uh it's just new old ass New England ghost tales type thing. So don't worry. <laughs> They're very I have beautiful. Absolutely no idea what the Hanging Hills are to be honest because the, I'm pretty sure well the Hanging Hills is where that black dog um like on the mountain thing. Oh, oh, but my there's God. other ones. This is me being Literally shot point blank with uh, old Connecticut history nostalgia. <laughs> uh, but uh, the Sleeping Giant mountain range is a mountain range that looks like a giant on it sleeping on its side. Uh, and 
you can kind of like see there is this idea of like oh my gosh what if what if there were settlements built upon what is actually the skeleton of a giant ancient monster or god or whatever um and that's really cool to see in the boiling isles also um we do get to see like depictions of connecticut of the fictional town of uh was it gravesfield yeah Um, which is very very like connecticut town name (laughs) yep it's got like their own little historical society it's got like colonial roots they talk about witches which every town does and it's random random like oh sorry go go oh it ends in field which half of the towns in connecticut end in (laughs) lichfield fairfield plainfield Uh, enfield oh god yeah this oh so many or port <laughs> it's either a or field port. or a port if you're by the water it's a port if you're not by the water it's a field i mean even fairfield which is relatively near water but yeah bridgeport mystic port it's just not close enough to be by be the port yeah um the thing i can't find why they're called the hanging hills but yeah the main the main um uh like urban myth, myth around it urban legend is the black dog. So, for those who don't know, usually, like, I'm guessing most people don't know, unless you're from a very specific demographic of Connecticut. Um, basically, uh, some guy was hiking around, and he saw a black dog. Something great happened. I forget what. He was very lucky, basically. <laughs> then he told a friend about it. They went hiking. They see the dog again. Uh, this time, they see a dead guy, too. Then original guy goes, uh, goes missing. The friend then goes, sees the guy's body. So basically, first time you see it, you're lucky. Second time, uh, you're basically seeing danger. Third time, you die. Which is the weirdest fucking, like, myth about seeing a dog in the woods. Like, it's a random black dog just chilling in the woods. Though it's supposed to, like, not leave any trace of it ex- its existence, like, no footprints or sound, or you can't touch it. Like, it just disappears. It operates on the classic mythical rule of threes. Yeah, and exactly. And it's also just a, a, a it portends. It, it's weird, though. I, the, this, <laughs> whoever's listening to this podcast is like, I thought they were talking about queer things. They're just talking about myths in Connecticut. Yeah. Um. But it, it is weird that it's like the first time you see it, it's good, but do not see it any other times. Mm-hmm. Then you're fucked. Yeah, here the Wik- Wikipedia, according to the legend, first time results in joy, second time results, uh, second sighting is a warning, third time is a death omen. Apparently, at least six deaths have been blamed on third meetings of the black dog. <laughs> Bro, oh, what if what if dogs ever done to you? <laughs> what if dogs? What, what the dog do, man? <laughs> what the dog doing? <laughs> Um, but back to the Owl House. Yeah, Owl House. Um, just, A, beautiful show. Love the fucking color palette and designs. Um, and then obviously, the gay shit. Uh, it's great. (laughs) Oh, it's, it's, here's the thing. When I, when the Owl House was first coming out, I was jazzed because I knew who Dana Terrace was. I knew that she was in a relationship with Alex Hirsch and that she had worked on some of the, the most beautiful uh, scenes that were hand-drawn in Gravity Falls. Best fucking show. And when I knew that Alex Hirsch was attached, I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing. And um, very quickly it proved like, oh, hell yeah, it, it is amazing. Um, just the, as you said, like the character design and color palettes and attention to detail uh, 
is so similar and I would argue even better than it was on Gravity Falls. I mean, I personally enjoy Dana's art style. She has a very specific sort of, it's a great blend of like the very sort of round, uh, accessible cartoon style that we kind of saw in Gravity Falls. Everything was so like, as my friends would say, so shaped. Um, <laughs> and then you have some of the more Dana-y things, which is like the way she renders hands is very, very specific. Um, and very like you can definitely tell in some of the the uh, uh, the animation budget too. You know what something cool is about to happen when you see that shift in animation, and then everything gets really fluid. Dude, uh, as soon so spoilers for the for season two, like second to last episode or something. Oh, this is gonna be like fully spoiler territory. Oh yeah, totally. If, if like go up, go watch the show. The whole series. If you want to witness some like of the most amazing like wholesome ass uh uh gay early teen type stuff go watch it if, even if you don't just go watch it it's really yeah hard. it's genuinely the first, it's genuinely i will say so the, the the first few like the first season especially the first half it feels a lot more episodic than it ends up being um mm-hmm. so there is like serialization so just heads up for people who go in like wanting that serial serialization immediately um but as soon as i saw so the second last episode as soon as i saw um, the up in animation quality on Am- like Amity replying to lose about something. Um, I knew I knew something was going on. No, as soon as I saw the vines out, out of the off the coming off of the balcony at, at, at Amity's house. So for a little bit of context, um, this is very specific spoilery. So like if you haven't seen um, the second to last episode of season two, which is episode twenty, um go do it like do it now it'll make uh, you smile oh it, it'll make you smile the end will like make your heart stop a little bit it's it's great um but so this scene loose is coming to talk to amity we're gearing up towards the finale and loose all loose wants to make sure that amity is okay she's stopped responding on her little tamagotchi texting thing they don't quite have phones because loose loose's phone dies pretty early in season two um, Luce doesn't have a scroll, which is, like, their version of cell phones, so they have these little Tamagotchi things that they, like, send emojis on, and that's how Luce and Amity communicate. Um, and so they, they're seen doing this throughout the season. Now that Amity's, uh, Tamagotchi thing, that's what I'm gonna call it, uh, was broken <laughs> by her horrible mother, Odalia, um, Luce gets really nervous because we're almost approaching the Day of Unity, this big event that we discover Bellos is going to basically kill or seriously injure all of the witches, anybody who joined a coven. Um, again, if none of this is making sense to you, I suggest you watch The Owl House. So, Luce comes to Amity's house, and we see this chain, we see these beautiful vines um, off coming off the, va- the balcony of uh, Amity's room, and that's exactly when I knew we were going to get an animation change, because the there's a lighting effect that happens. Oh, um, yes. Usually in animation, things are very simply lit where there's like, if there's a clear light source, we may get a shadow. Um, but like, otherwise lighting effects are very flat. Uh, it's, it's very time consuming to, to go in and try to keep track of lighting sources and changes across the body. Like it's, that that's requires budget. And even then, uh, a lot of time you'll see Especially in older movies, you'll see uh, it kind of corners cut with that. But mm. every once in a while, when you do see it, it's like, oh, 
Chef's kiss. And usually when it is, when it's animated like that, um, it means that it was animated. Typically, uh, Disney cartoons are animated at, at studios in Korea, which is, you know, not a bad thing. That's an in- industry standard. And um, the Korean animators are so, uh, so appreciated. But when they want to do a special scene, they tend to do it in studio in uh, California or wherever they're creating the show. And so um, it's usually done by, like, a handful of people. Like, as I was saying earlier, Dana did the... Uh, also, this is spoilers for Gravity Falls, which, by the way, that show ended, like, 2014. If you haven't seen it yet, what are you doing? Um, but Dana Terrace did the animation for... She boarded and, I believe, did the the inks for um, when uh, Stanford Pines enters through the portal and we see him for the first time and we get the confirmation that... Uh, those two are twins and that it's like a big mind-blowing scene and it also looks cool as hell but like we get that special animation treat for our eyes and a very similar scene happens in the owl house and this time we're given this animation treat for the first like full on-screen kiss between two uh two girls in a disney animated show um it's loose and amity and it's the cutest thing uh loose spins amity around in her arms they kiss, they blush, it's all very sweet. They have uh, the, awkward, the awkward teen moment after of like, so oh god, funny. oh! <laughs> Why did I do that? Oh. oh god, it makes my heart so happy. Like it's, And the fact that, because a lot of animation to, um, to extend budgets, basically, uh, and you see this in most, uh, basically most cartoons at this point, um, is to keep some elements of the body from a previous frame. So essentially, they only have to redraw a, any specific parts of the body that's moving. Um, so a lot of time with, like, if they're just saying words and they're staying in the same spot, they'll just uh, be redrawing the mouth instead of the entire head. And so what mm. we got here with, as a treat, they basically, and this is usually on higher budgets, um, so you'll see it in um, things like movies or, or very short uh, shorts from high up studios uh, is they reanimate the entire frame for each uh, frame. I'm saying that word a lot. Uh, <laughs> but basically, it's a new drawing each time, so it ends up being an extremely smooth motion. They put like so much care and attention into this moment, and it just feels it- like such like a love letter to because Dana, Dana, and the rest of the crew they know how much they've engaged and, like, caught the attention of the LGBTQ plus community. I mean, Dana Terrace herself is bisexual. Um, and it just, I don't know, it just feels so, so heartwarming to to know that there's this much care for the community, you know? And I think it's important, too, um, that because... Dana is bi, and I can guarantee you, though I, I don't know, um, that a lot of people on the team, on the writing team, and on in, in the animation studio are probably queer themselves, that they understand the gravity of showing a young and sweet and, like, beautiful sort of relationship between uh, two queer um, characters. That, that, that there's, like, a, a genuineness to it that you know it's not just, like, not that I, I, I ever really would uh, 
would say anybody's like pandering when they show queer I think queer queer relationships and queer characters are important pandering quote unquote or otherwise but the way that uh the way that they're written is like I know that when I was 15 I would have been overjoyed to see something like this like I'm I'm 22 now and I still like don't see such like sweet and beautiful relationships as the ones as the one happening between Luce and Amity and it's also like like the first time that like Luce calls Amity her girlfriend the 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 little pet names that they have for each other Luce calls um Amity sweet potato because Amity tried to speak Spanish and ended up saying sweet potato instead of I don't even remember what it was she was trying to say but like those kinds of like very cute sort of like what we what we might consider smaller interactions just they're so important both towards I think the older people watching and being like man I wish I had this when I was a kid and the the kids the audience it's it's marketed to and I guess intended towards uh seeing that and understanding like you know there are queer kids out there they exist like they're the ones who are going to be seeing it and understanding like how important it is to them and so like that I think that's part of the reason why the Owl House is so popular on Disney channel even though it's even though Disney does I don't think Disney wants to to admit it and I think a lot of times Disney has been reticent to admit it that their most popular shows are those that that have a broad range of appeal rather than this targeted uh younger audience and because the Owl House is so hard to like they don't know how to make merch for it. They don't know how to sell it to children in a way that they're able to sell, like, um, see, now I'm asking, I'm being asked to, uh, come up with another Disney kids show, but I cannot. Uh, I, let's say Miraculous Ladybug, for example. Like, that's something that's very easy to make merch from because you have cute, cutesy characters and then you have the main characters, which are like superheroes and we know Disney loves to make superhero merch. That stuff's easy to merchandise. The Owl House is not so easy, even though King is adorable, Hootie is adorable. You can There's a lot of merch opportunities there, but, like, they understand, like, oh, adults aren't going to be throwing away their money for this. You know, it's we want kids to beg their parents for the, the new doll or the new costume or, or whatever. Um, it's really unfortunate that that's where the focus, that capitalism drives this, what, what pieces of art get renewed or get... Um, get more money because I think at least being in online spaces, seeing how how fiercely, like every time a new Owl House uh, episode comes out, Tumblr is all over it. It starts trending number one on Tumblr. Twitter, it starts trending on Twitter as well. Um, and seeing the like amount of like the way that there's meta discussion as well as just like fan art and people writing fan fiction and people like taking part in the fandom Disney sees it. You can guarantee Disney sees it, but they ignore it because they don't because the analytics are telling them it's not popular or it's not popular among the most money making groups of people, which would be young children. And so, like that's when now we're at this situation with the Owl House too, which it just had a gorgeous season two finale that set up so much, and what is being set up only has three forty five minute episodes left to tell it in. And so, like people want to save the Owl House and there was a big push for a renewal for an extended season three for something uh, that, and this, these pushes have been happening like maybe every couple months. Um, but Disney won't relent because it know it knows it doesn't make it money in the way that they want it to. Uh, I know I got off the rails there, but like, 
it just it's so frustrating because you have such a big love a big group of people who love this and and are so thankful for the representation it gives us and then you have the corporate corporate uh suits people who are like well it doesn't make any money so we're going to cancel it anyway <laughs> it's such a weird discussion of art i think and I think you that's also the point I'm trying to make. yeah and there's also um the whole like the fact that it is so explicit in its like i guess queerness um that because Disney, one of the big things with your big company trying to make a lot of money, get the biggest reach, um, and all that is being able to peel, peel as many people as you can. So having things like small hints to certain communities, but generally having it to the point where if you aren't in that community, you can just hand wave it away. Um, mm. That is what you see most. That's why you have things like um, like characters who are coded queer coded a certain minority or anything like that but not explicitly said something or you have the infamous um gay couple who appears on screen for two seconds in the background and is cut overseas um oh my god you we can have a whole other discussion over the amount of times i've read articles or seen things about a disney movie coming out saying disney's first canon gay couple Mm mm-hmm on the big screen and it is like a two second flash in the pan thing or a reference or whatever the hell they were doing in beauty and the beast like yeah and that this yeah that combined with the whole like their their funding towards certain certain political figures and groups and blah 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 that's that's a whole nother can of worms um the old don't get say gay bill uh which many opinions on but um getting back to owl house I think that that is also part of the reason that they aren't... Like, of course, it that's not the only reason. I think that there are a lot of people who think that the only reason it's being cancelled is for um, for containing, like, gay characters. Um, but I think, A, what you said with the not being extremely marketable in terms of making toy sales, things like that. And then also... Um, it not being very episodic in structure, um, which makes it hard to air uh, episodes out of order on TV, which at this point, is, I'm like, I'm not really sure that's a huge excuse because now most people just use streaming services and serialized shows are great on streaming services, but you know. Um, but also the fact that, like, I know they've tr- edited out some stuff in other countries, but things like the a very well animated very like long scene of a kiss and things like that um it's not something that if you were say and i don't want to i don't want to uh, alienate specific group but if you were a very um uh poli- not maybe maybe not politically but socially conservative um uh individual who was not so down with the with the with the alphabet mafia. Um, you could say homophobic. You could say homophobic. Yeah. <laughs> if you were homo... Well, even if you're not, like, straight up homophobic, but you basically, like... It's like people who say, like, who aren't straight up racist, but still hold certain, like, things subconsciously. Um, I'd, I'd still call them racist, though. Oh, that's not fair. that we have to... Not that we have to get into this in our discussion yeah. of children's cartoons. Fair enough, fair but, enough. 
But if you're a homophobe, you can basically, let's say, the scene with the dance in the first uh, season where they're doing the, the Grom dance. Um, mm-hmm. Another very well animated uh, section. Um, but you could hand wave that away. You, if you could read it as non-romantic and, and that's basically an out in terms of uh, Disney keeping the largest audience it can. And so I think now that it's gotten kind of put more into a, a, a certain corner rather than a uh, generalized room, that's part of the reason why they won. They like canceled it. It's very much for um, it's very much for Disney uh, breadth over depth, and and this is true not just for Disney but for 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 many media companies is that they want something that uh, they don't they don't know. How, it seem seemingly they don't know how to capitalize on cult or or ex- or you know dedicated fandoms. I think, especially, I'm gonna blame Marvel movies on this. I'm not <laughs> a cultural historian, so it may not be the case. But I feel like the trend I've seen with Marvel movies is that Marvel movies seemingly captured the attention of as many audiences as possible. Like um, when the Avengers came out, you could feel good taking your children there, taking your spouse to to the avengers you could anybody could enjoy something from the avengers because it had comedy it had a lot of action it had things to focus on you didn't have to know the characters you can still ha- have a fun and enjoyable time um and so like the fact that it could be shown to so many different groups of people and therefore um sell merch and marketing was important to them and now i think a lot of people are chasing that same sort of idea that you can make the media for, you can make a piece of media for anybody um and that's also where we tend to sacrifice artistic storytelling and representational storytelling is that if it needs to if it needs to get everybody it's focusing on nobody and it's not telling a story that is significant to anybody the owl house is telling us a story that's that can be very significant to queer children growing up or for for um children of color particularly i think um, those who feel like they don't fit in. I think Luce feeling like an outsider in her, where she's growing up, which Connecticut is, uh, an interesting state to live in because it is very white in many places. And then there are also large communities of color and it feels, they both, they feel very distinct from each other. Um, and so like, I'm assuming that Gravesfield for Luce is very white compared to other areas. Um, at least that's what I get from the layout of the city. Like where I live is super white. Um, but there were still families of color and I could see them feeling like an outsider. Obviously, I don't want to speak for them. Um, but Luce being an outsider, both because of her interests, um, being into witchcraft and being into Azura the Good Witch and being, you know, considered a weird kid. And then also being seemingly one of the few uh, uh, students of color in in her school or one of the few uh, Latina people in her uh town sorry in her town would be very relatable to I think a lot of kids in that situation and so um that's kind of the importance plus she feels like an outsider because she's also queer and who knows how how that's treated where she's growing up so like having her go to this world where not only is she accepted but she's free to be her full self and to explore other aspects of her personality uh, is super important and that's why it's it feels better it feels more genuine and 
well-rounded and representational because it's there's a focus on a specific kind of character. You can still, as you know, <laughs> I'm not Latina, I'm white. Um, I'm a, a, a white non-Latina uh, person and I can still take interest and comfort in the stories that the Owl House is telling. And I think a lot of people can do that. But the way that like corp- corporations tend to think is like, well, if it's not about me, why should I care? And that's like very stupid. <laughs> Uh, to end to end a rant, it's very stupid. Well, well, well put rant. Um, I I as as a person who is a person of color and queer and grew up. So I grew up um very close to where Dana grew up, essentially. Um, maybe like thirty minutes, forty five minutes tops drive. Um, and so it was very similar type of um community. There was. I grew up mostly white. I'm adopted into a white family as well um, with a few uh, people of color. I went to a private school, so there was a lot of like kind of trying to get everyone on the same page as a norm, whether it be uh, how you express yourself as well as how you uh, uh how you acted, how you performed academically, how you, everything essentially, trying to get you to a specific mold. Um, and there were other communities that were in other towns near us that were much more, um, much more uh, uh, people of color based. But uh, I essentially went to school with six people who were Asian besides me uh, in a school of 500. So that's a good reference point. Um, so if I had seen something like this as a kid, I think it would have been really, really empowering. I mean, like, even at the time, I knew that I wasn't straight, but I also didn't know why I was because I no one ever talked about it. Um, the only reference for a while I had was uh, the idea of being pansexual. Um, mm. But no one ever talked about it. The no- Like... The norm assumption, of course, being straight, um, and yeah, if 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 I had seen something like this, I would have known this much faster instead of you know at age like twenty. Um, so I feel like it's it's awful because there's this there's these great stories, this great writing that can connect and like help people understand themselves as well as others, but because the fact that you know, money makes the world go round and you gotta fund all this stuff. And I'm not saying, like, money is the root of all evil. You gotta pay the fucking animators and writers, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the, the, um, the surrendering of artistic integrity as well as just kind of social responsibility for capital gain, I think, is, is one of the major problems we're seeing right now. Um, and whether it be for other issues going on, um, like uh, gun violence and shootings, um, or things within the, the queer community. Um, it's just, it's a major issue that we kind of, it's we, we address it, but we need the straight people to address it too. And by straight people, of course, I don't mean like, I mean like, you know what I mean. 
basically people in a higher point of privilege who are typically straight, so gender, white, all that. I think also uh, about acknowledging it, or, or rather about about art and, and capital, I think the best way to satisfy, I think, basically what we all want, which is we want good stories uh, and, we, and we want to see, we want to have access to good stories, right? Part of having access to good stories, first of all, will create capital, opportunities for capital. Um, having a good story, having excitement about things like um, seeing this with the Owl House, the, the amount of people who are making fan art that making merch for themselves because Disney won't do it. Um, the amount of people who are able to, to, to kind of service a group of people who are not being attended to by Disney themselves, there, there's clearly money to be made in yeah. good stories. People who like art are going to pay for it. I mean, um, if they, people need to, corporations need to learn, because if they, like, <laughs> they could take such advantage of this. I mean, you see it with D&D stuff all the time. Basically, Millennials and Gen Z, some Gen X, we are very much into spending a lot of money on premium, whether or not it's actually like good quality uh, merchandise of things we enjoy. We will spend a lot of money. I think the people people among us, uh, like myself, and I think like you, Jackie, people who grew up with media and, and being very attentive to that, are not ashamed to spend money on the things that we like. Uh, <laughs> and the fact that, like, not only it's not only that Disney is motivated by capital, but they are also deeply ingrained in white supremacy and in homophobia and in trying to attract those audiences as well, realizing that they are sitting on a tre treasure trove of people who want to spend money on the things. But uh, back to like the the point that i was ultimately trying to make was like <laughs> it's not just about having people acknowledge that these stories exist and, and telling them um themselves like it's not just about like the the white executives at disney trying to make a story about uh, a latina um teenager uh with a girlfriend <laughs> who's also a witch not to boil it down in such uh, <laughs> boil such it. vague it. terms it's boiling aisles oh <laughs> oh shit oh shit aisles. a joke <laughs> no pun intended. Um, but also to give money to those who can tell those stories with with uh, genuine, um, just yeah, give get paying the artists who have the the art to make and um, to to give an example of something that that I also can talk at length about um, Taiko Waititi, who I understand, uh, there he he's in the he's in the news right now. Um, both for Thor and also just there's some rehashing of his personal life that I'm not going to go into. But what I want to say is I want to give credit to Taika Waititi because he right now is the darling of Hollywood. And that means people are trusting in him to choose projects uh, that they're going to give money to. And part of that um, that you see with the with the projects that he is placing his interest in are making sure that that he is like especially in his executive producer roles he's giving his attention and studio money to projects that are telling stories that maybe maybe he won't tell them or maybe maybe uh the executives would never have looked at in general um i just um i'm con 
I, I never finished watching Reservation Dogs. Unfortunately, I when it kind of came out, I was sort of busy and I never kind of finished through it. And I'm finishing it now. And uh, it is a Taika Waititi executive produced show, but it is uh, it is amazing. It is it is made by an amazing team of indigenous writers and creators who, without um, having the Taika Waititi name attached to the project probably would not have gotten um, the funding that they requ- required and and being able to produce it. And so, like, by the way, if you haven't seen Reservation Dogs, it's absolutely hilarious. It's um, about a group of teenagers in Oklahoma living on a uh, Native American reservation who are trying to raise enough money to move to California. Um, and it is so funny it is so great, but it is it is not just that Taika Waititi is magic and everything he touches is perfect, but it's that he knows where to put the money um, to, to, to yield art that is worth watching and stories that are worth telling. I mean, he was coming up as a creator from New Zealand as a half-Indigenous person, um, and I think he understands as a film as now a like super big film star um and a director that having that support is important and having being able to give like use his power to lend voices to other people is super important and so i i guess to to circle back to the original conversation we were having disney should and i think other corporations should as well focus on these creators so much more. We're seeing this also with Abbott Elementary, uh, Quinta Brunson's show on NBC, which is like so funny and so amazing and also so poignant. And it's a story that she wants to tell as a black woman in comedy. And so like seeing more creators, I think Disney should take the the risk quote unquote on, because it's not really a risk. Both Reservation Dogs and Abbott Elementary and all the all the other projects that like Taika Waititi has put his name on, or has, or that um, basically any creator that has like inter- is telling their own story, uh, Amphibia comes to mind as well. Um, they're they're already they're so much popular, so much more, not popular, but there's so much more love from the people who watch it because they're seeing stories that are told in a genuine way from people who have lived those experiences or from people who un- who understand those perspectives. And so like to see the Owl House written by someone who is queer and writing in queer perspectives staffed with a group of people who are also queer and people of color, uh, it's so, so important to have those voices, not just like Disney decides they want to make a show. I mean, it's also another reason why this is me just listing media I like. But why Encanto was was gorgeous was because it was written by Colombians, featuring Colombians. Oh, and so God. It was don't steep- get me fucking started on Raya and the Last Dragon. I, I, oh my God, I have so many fucking. I, okay, alright. I, it's like S- Southeast Asia exists. <laughs> And there are many differences between countries and similarities. We are also not, you know, East Asian or South Asian. <laughs> Yet, uh, I feel like a lot of the time people don't understand that. And that movie is one example. 
And yeah, it's, there's a it's, lot of queer baiting, even though it's not Asian queer baiting. So it's like, bro, come on. And that's the end of my rant because I could go on for like an hour. It's not Asian queer baiting? What do you mean by that? Like they use uh, co- like queer coding that's used like that's that's coding in west in the western like uh, uh zeitgeist i guess but oh in like southeast asia that's not that that coding doesn't have the same look essentially it, it isn't mm. the same um so like things like uh undercuts like that's not queer coding and in oh yeah, people just have undercuts yeah. in Asia. Or like doesn't... like men wear wearing more feminine clothing. That's not queer coding either. Like oh yeah, so it's there's a lot. There's a lot. Uh... Yeah, Raya. No, I didn't. I didn't see Raya. Most most of the voice actors were um, not Southeast Asian. I was gonna say also tangent again to to put a tangent on a tangent um put stop putting aquafina in things oh god yeah there are more asian actresses than aquafina and we can choose funnier ones, ones. <laughs> didn't come up well yeah didn't come up uh with a black scent like could we maybe i feel like again i'm not really one to talk it's it's not my room to, to it's not really my space to say but she is fucking in everything. Everything. And I don't know why. She's the reason I don't want to watch, um, she's the reason I'm hesitant to watch, uh, or not hesitant, it's just, like, I don't have motivation to watch Shang-Chi, even though I've heard it's a really good movie. You know what? I had the same thought. <laughs> I saw Shang- I saw the trailers for Shang-Chi, and I'm like, well, and, and, sorry if you just heard my chair creak, I'm, it's very loud, uh, I'm also generally hesitant to watch any Marvel anything nowadays, um, because it, oh, because it's it's just not it's just not it, man. But uh, Shang Chi, I was like, oh, this could be interesting. This looks good. Simu Liu looks like he seems like a really cool actor. Um, but then I saw Aquafina in the trailer, and I was like, well, I'm good. I think I'm good. <laughs> She's her own. Another can of worms we'll put on the shelf. It sucks because you, you, you're like, you want to have more, like, female Asian representation in media. Mm-hmm. Like, And that then you, thing. you get one person who isn't even that good. You get Aquafina 18 times and you're just like, can we please? Please. There's, there's it's so like many that, other actresses and, that you can choose. It's like that period of years where, uh, the the main go-to for a woman who is black from Africa was just Lupita Nyong'o, who, like, she's an amazing actress. She's, like, she's super smart and beautiful and everything. Like, I have no problems with her. It's just that they don't even try to, like, look for other people or add to that collection, you know? Yeah, I think... <laughs> no, I, I think that's a solid point, too, is that um, I think a lot of, like, white-run media companies, I think all of them are white-run. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> um, you can cut that. Uh, <laughs> I think a lot of media companies, they'll see the success of a certain actor um, of color, and they'll be like, oh, okay, well, th- this person wins awards, they were great in this movie, time to cast them in literally every movie 
we have that requires um, a person of color in that role. Like you said, with Lupita Nyong'o, who, again, is absolutely an amazing actress. Like, I, nobody's debating that. It's just also, like, the fact that they seem to stop at finding actors for for a little while before they, like, they'll have a new up-and-comer and then they'll let them be their sole sort of actor for that specific role for a little while. And then they'll be like, all right, you're too old. We need to find someone else. Or you're, you're, you're no longer the up-and-coming actor. You're now well-established. You don't have to choose these roles. So we need to find someone else. I always found so, like, it. That's, I mean, that's really interesting. I don't have, I don't have a great articulated point to, to put on that, but it is... It's, it's and they're doing it with Aquafina of all. It's people. like to, it's token. It's it's not token casting, oh, token. but it's, it's like it's like having a a token uh, playing field. Like you just kind of keep keep your one in each corner, and then just bring them out when the time comes. For a while, oh <laughs> Michael, uh, Michael Pena, Pena. Yes, Michael Pena. For a while, he was the token for like any Mexican. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We need hey, we need a funny Latino character. Get Michael Pena on the line. He's a Scientologist. Yes, I, I knew that. That's Sad. unfortunate. Wait, is it Michael Pena or Carlos Pena? Carlos Pena, who is in Big Time Rush, is a Scientologist, I'm pretty sure. They might both be. <laughs> they might both be Scientologists. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, uh, the fuck. The most, um, the most, uh, disappointing, uh, Scientologist was Elizabeth oh, Moss. Because I think she's, like, a really great actress. Yeah, she is. She's another example. I think she's an example of someone who I I love their work, but man, I don't want anything to do with them after that. Yeah, yeah, Michael. Yeah, Michael Pena. Uh, yep, Scientology's Scientology. Two thousand. Carlos Pena one. He's he's married to um Alexa Vega, who was um who was um Carmen in um Spy Kids. God, there's a there's actually an early childhood like crush character. <gasps> the the uh the the mom and dad in Spy Kids. Oh, um Carlos Peña or Carlos Peña Vega. Oh my god, my headphones just died. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> a few minutes later. Yeah, I'm like I don't know why but us talking about uh are you mentioning at one point like um uh, the whole like coming out thing as being overdone in media, like in in how it's depicted, especially made me think of this one movie. Um, uh, what's it called? It's called not Invisible Boy, but something along the maybe it is Invisible Boy. It's something along those lines. Um, it had the kid from Manchester by the Sea, and also had Russell Crowe in it. Um. Mm. And it is about a kid who uh, finds out, who discovers he's gay. First, always good. I don't know if it's based on a true story or not, um, but, you know, this is just a, an unfortunate theme in a lot of depictions. He first, uh, he discovers he's into guys. He discovers he's gay. Mm-hmm. He doesn't actually have sex with a man. Uh, then he's sent to conversion therapy camp. Great. Everyone's favorite. Yeah, which all all of the hallmarks of that. Um, then after he goes to college, and that's where he first like he befriends this guy like because they do morning runs together, 
And then there's obviously, like, he's trying to be, like, trying to kind of slide into a romantic type of relationship. And the guy ends up raping him because he goes way too fast um, and not with consent. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's always fun. Um, And, yeah, that's, like, the main thing I remember about the movie. It just, like... Sexual violence? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'd say that's probably pretty pretty. Because it, like, it's weird, because you would think it would be a film that, you know, like, sympathize. Like, you sympathize with the kid, but they don't exactly sympathize with the gayness of the kid. No, I think, um, I think that's, that's, like, really prevalent, is, is, like, not only these, I, these, like, depictions of tragic coming out stories, or, like, tragic gay lives, uh, the idea that, like, as soon as you find out you're gay and your attempts to live your truest self is just all pain and heartbreak and violence. Uh, but there's, like, a fascination with this idea that, like, this kid is getting, like, punished for his sexuality. Yeah, or, like, life and, becomes a struggle because of it. Yeah, like, and they're, and, and they're, they're, like, ostensibly sympathetic because they're like, look, we're showing you a depiction of a gay person and we're showing you... You know, look how sad it is that this happens to gay people. And it's like a more sympathetic depiction would show them, I don't know, like being able to work through that trauma and show like queer joy and and whatnot. So like it's a very straight sort of We should uh, one of our episodes should be on like the whole gay suffering type trope, honestly, Mm. because like that's a huge thing. And like. I think that honestly is really bad in terms of setting up this dread in in like new either newly or already and like a uh, young or just even vulnerable queer people of like like oh I'm queer that means like I'm gonna have to deal with all this shit like I'm my life is gonna be horrible I have to like. I have to do all this. I have to, I have to, the world hates me, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's breeding this environment that already existed for all these, like, the suicide numbers and shit that you see in, in. Oh, yeah. Like, instead of, sorry to cut you off. Um, Instead of allowing people realizing that they're gay to feel, especially younger people, to feel happy and confident and proud of themselves now that they've they're finally walking in a direction which means that they can become their most authentic self it yeah you're right it fills them with a sense of dread like oh god now that i know i'm gay you know like should i even should i even you know be proud of it should i should i even try and like come out to people like who's going to the the first thing that like i realized when being queer was like oh, man, how am I going to tell people? Like, how is this yeah. going to change the way I interact with basically everybody in my life? And one of the things that my mom told me when I came out to her was, like, she she just, she said, I just don't want you to to face prejudice. And I'm like, I don't want me to face prejudice, prejudice either, but that's not the first thing I'm thinking of when this, when I tell you this, you know? Like, that's not the first thing that I want to be... I don't want people to think of me and be like, that person's queer. I wonder how much shit they get for, for doing that. And I think that that's why, like, media, especially that shows us that this this joy can happen, is mo- is very important. 
I feel like we can now move past the period of time where we have to show, look how, look how much people, gay people are suffering. And now we can go into like, gay people are like you, you and me, you know, (laughs) Yeah. gay people uh, also live and they love and they have tragedies, but, but you know, it's not just because they're gay. There are other elements to, to living gay life. So to kind of wrap up my ideas about the Owl House, I think one of the things that is less prominent, particularly because it's not really, sh- we, we don't get, get to this until majority of season two, but Ida's relationship with Rain is, and Rain as a character themselves is amazing, but um, I, I love this idea that like not only can people rediscover love at the, I'd have been not as old as you might originally think Ida is, but at like an older age too. Like we're showing kind of two different ends of the spectrum of queer love we have like this newfound sort of very sweet and like developing love between amity and loose and then we have the the mystery and some of the heartbreak from rain uh and ida that i mean <laughs> to be honest i just want them to kiss <laughs> yeah i, think I want them so back cute. together man it's like parent trapping them <laughs> yeah and i just they're the fact that it's still a queer relationship, like it's it's uh Rain being a prominent non-binary character and just being non-binary, which is also not questioned. Like I feel like we're now living in an era where non-binary characters are going to be more prevalent and we're not going to have to like explain what being non-binary is to people. They'll just be not they'll intuit it, I think. Just like we intuited through Rain that Rain uses they them pronouns because they use they them pronouns. They're a person, you know. That's super cool. And um, Ida and Rain are adorable. And it's unf- like the fact that we get to see like not only how they grown- grew apart, but how they come together and how they originally met and everything. Like it's just so sweet. And the fact that they did not, spoiler alert for the last episode of season two, the fact that they did not kiss. I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm a little annoyed. I wanted them to kiss. They're very cute. Uh, but I hope we get a beautifully animated kiss scene between them, th- those two. Not that kissing is the only. I way to I, show I just hope to see but, them like, again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure we will. But I hope to see both of them again. Yes. Oh yeah, man. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Rain wasn't looking, wasn't looking great. Rain was uh, Rain was quite yellow, like lines, yeah. not yellow white, like Asian. White, white. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's not do that. Um, but one thing, another small thing from that episode was, um, I think it was that one, not the one before, um, was the with Odalia when, um, Amity talked about Luz being her girlfriend, basically just saying, "Oh, we'll get you a better girlfriend." Not like, not saying like, "Oh, we'll have you like marry or get we'll we'll uh, like, um, we'll we'll." arrange something with like a, a, a proper suitor type thing it's like it doesn't matter that uh there she has a girlfriend it just matters that ojali is like dude we need to keep a reputation <laughs> oh yeah yeah like that's another great thing too is that in this universe homophobia doesn't exist in o- in o- in overtness in the the boiling isles like the boiling isles isn't it, it, it has its prejudices, but those prejudices are about being, uh, about wild witches, about about the, the kind of caste system that they developed, which is the coven system, not 
uh, through racism or homophobia, which is really refreshing because we know that loose is coming from our modern world, is coming from where we're coming from, and so we, I think, understand, like, oh, there's probably some concern from loose about homophobia, but, like, that's not the concern for most of the show, and it's not something that I think we're going to, we're not ending, we're not going to be ending up seeing that with Camilla, like, that's She accepted, she accepted a slug monster into her home, nah. You're calling V a slug monster? Well, uh, design-wise, like a slug axolotl. Yeah, yeah, I would say, like, an, which I'm told that that's not how that's pronounced, however, I do not know, it's like, she'll, she'll. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, it's the, it's the, um, it's the S, it's the S-H-X, basically, thing, it's like, um. Yeah, uh, like, chill. Yeah, no, because I remember that from, um, my, my America's Before Columbus class, a lot of the site names, uh, had X's that. Like Mexica instead of uh, Mexica. Huh. Yeah. We we're gonna show our asses a little bit uh, <laughs> when it comes to being able to correctly pronounce things. Oh shit! Oh uh, shit! Oh shit! No, my colored card. <laughs> it. <laughs> it's being taken away. No. <laughs> I will offer no commentary on that. <laughs> I think I'm I think I'm stepping in it also as it is. But um I like that we don't have to be concerned about homophobia there because the whole I think thesis of maybe not thesis, but the whole sort of background in the Owl House too is you can tell that this is like childhood escapism. We've all had these ideas where we had these a big rampant imaginations of what if there were really witches and wizards what if there was magic in the world you know this sort of adventure fantasy that we get to see uh loose going on and a part of that is not going to be the normal prejudices of our modern world like that's not where we're we're not touching on that there uh and i'm so glad that homophobia is is not one of those things and so like when odalia has an issue with amity dating loose it's not because it's not because uh Luce is, is a girl, but because Luce is not of a high enough stature for a blight woman to be with, you know, you need to have someone who has connections, who who is part of a coven. Uh, like, those are the those are the concerns with Odalia. Odalia is an absolutely terrible mother and another sort of part of that episode, which is episode 20 out of season two. Um... I don't have the names on me right now. This is uh, not a research podcast. We said this. <laughs> We're not researching anything. This is straight off the dome and whatever I, Wikipedia can give us in two seconds. I saw a great meme on uh, on Reddit, on the subreddit. Um, and it was, like, talking about how, like, every... It's fucking... Everyone's so just, like, distraught with the ending. Like, all these people suffering. And then, <laughs> just, like, a little smiley face. It was, like, just knowing somewhere Odalia is suffering, too. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean she's eating a big she's eating a big spoonful of humble pie, as she's like you know I I feel bad, uh, well, I mean, no I don't feel bad I don't feel bad about <laughs> anything that has to do with Odalia Blight like I nah, no, <laughs> um I'm glad we got that sort of we did deal with Alador because I think yeah. throughout most of season two, uh there was this big question of like. How does Alador fit into the control of Odalia Blight? How does he, you know, what level of 
control and, and what level of say does he have in the decisions that his wife is making? Which I'm assuming the the two didn't even love each other. I'm assuming like based on the way that they they t- the way that he talked about Adelia, it seems like it was probably just an arranged marriage between uh the the two like probably two prominent families. It's not super clear. Although like Odalia, I think went to Hexide. They both. So, did. Who who? It, it, there's there's obviously still questions uh, remaining, but they're also you know, in the grand scheme of things, not very important. Um, and like off of our off of our main discussion type topic, um, relating to queer stuff, um, I kind I I really liked the portrayal of him as like because. I feel like a lot of, I mean, obviously this applies to all generations, but I feel like a lot of um, people within our generation, the one above, so Gen Z, Gen X, um, well, Gen Z millennials and some Gen X, um, there was, because there's, especially growing up, there was still the extreme norm of the dad who goes to work for nine to like 12 hours and then comes home at night you're about to go to sleep you barely see them um Mm. and you just don't really interact with them and whether or not it's by their own choice um kind of becomes an absentee parent um and i feel like that type of depiction is something that for kids dealing with that, especially for kids dealing with that, where it is, um, where it is this case of parent trying to do everything to, like, take care of them, it is good to show this because it can, it could breed resentment within a kid, you know, if they don't understand, like, the whole picture. Oh, yeah, I think it's, it's a dynamic worth exploring, and I think that, Another thing that Owl House does really well, um, at least f- from my point of view, is showing these these alternative sort of uh, configurations of parents and children. So who's a, who can be considered a parent? Well, Ida's a parent to Luce and King, even though she's not their biological mother. Um, and, you know, Luce also has her biological mother alive but not quite present right now and her father passed away and so I think a lot of people can relate to that sort of setup this idea that like people have different parental figures different ways that their parental figures interact with them like Odalia is 100% abusive she seems so uh, uh, nearsighted in her goals that she doesn't see the harm that she places on her children because she's so used to this expectation set by her previous generations Um, and then we have some more positive uh uh though not as uh shown um parental figures with willow's dads seem pretty great to be honest uh gus's parents we don't see see that much about and we can see that gus has some sort of um well i don't remember if this is with his parents but but he has some expectations set upon him so like it's very interesting to see the the different sort of like parental dynamics in in the main characters of the owl house that a lot of kids i think can uh relate to especially i think king too the search for his father is a is an experience that i think kids with absentee parents also feel um or adopted kids can feel as well
God, yeah, the 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 whole like uh the Bill character in that in that episode where um where he meets like all the Titan hunters. The oh moment God, yeah. it showed like the under like his under the area under his chin and it was like a skin color. I was like, what the mm. fuck is happening? What like what's going on? <laughs> Did they color it weirdly? Oh yeah. That oh man, that was because when we're first I think this is at the end of one of the first episodes of season two, uh, we see that the character who were like, Oh, that could be that could be King's father. Um the fact that we're 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 shown that character trying to send a, a letter to King uh it's so <laughs> it's so fun funny and tragic that that's where that was paid off is that well we do learn uh that king is much more powerful uh and will eventually get much bigger than he is at this moment uh but he's also unfortunately seemingly alone in the world uh that the last member of his species and also his father is the is the very island to take us back to the beginning the the very island on on which the whole story takes place like the titan being his father is like it's great that he knows and he's empowered by knowing but it's also so upsetting that he knows he'll never really actually meet his father that's when you like when you think about the idea of like the land that you inhabit being the corpse built on the corpse of like your parent that's so fucked up like just the 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 mental like hoops that would that you'd have to deal with like imagine if like if imagining like connect or massachusetts or something was like was like this corpse (laughs) was my father (laughs) yeah that would be i mean yeah, that'd be fucked up. Not gonna yeah, lie. like um, like oh god, that like that gets very dark very fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah but... I I I love the fact that they play around with like these kind of dark elements. Honestly. Oh yeah, I mean that's another thing too. Showing from Dana's sort of like point of reference in a lot of Dana's art, especially when she was a student in. Uh, in college where she does a lot of horror inspired art like she's she's a master of body horror as we've seen with um some of the villains like even one of the earlier uh sort of episodic villains in season one was that a uh, wizard who was playing all of the characters oh in the, yeah and he was like this big creepy monster oh man yeah she's she's kind of got a great knack for that balance between uh, a light sort of adventure comedy and then this really like deep uh, i mean let's call a spade a spade bellos is like a genocidal witch hunter like that's that's very dark for a, a child's uh show you know and he's like he's also basically i think i think it's been pretty stated well stated throughout the course of season two that bellos is not some someone who loose can redeem through uh being nice to them and and tell and showing them like how much better their life would be if they had just given everything a rest. Like I think part of Luce's power as a protagonist is that she's really great with showing people 
the good ver who they could be as a better version of themselves and leading them to redemption. Like we see that with Hunter. But uh, man, we're pretty basically told Bellos is going to be an evil creep for the rest of his existence, uh, which is to be determined, <laughs> as we've seen by the end of season two. I didn't I didn't know about the um the credits bit with the Bella scoop until Reddit because I had watched it on YouTube um and it cut off before like right at the end of the, right at the beginning of the credits, um. Like I don't oh think God. I saw it either. Oh, it's basically like you you know how it shows like the door um like and it raining outside. Yeah. So basically, there's that same goop that was on Hunter's shoulder like dripping down. And then it drips onto the doorknob and closes the door. <gasps> oh, that's yeah. so creepy. Yeah, ah, right? It's yeah. so creepy. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, that is terrifying. That is, like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So many jokes about his drip. <laughs> like, first Luz making fun of it, and then he gets his literal drip. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, another example of, of the ability of horror... Uh, and Dana Terrace is, is how spooky the Bellos monster actually is. Like, very terrifying. Um, yeah, I think I think we've talked at length about many things, some of which were relevant to the, the theme of this podcast, other things that were um, not as relevant, <laughs> but hopefully enjoyable nonetheless. Uh, do you want to take us out? Okay, so... Thank you for listening to us ramble about uh, our weekly LGBT plus Alphabet Mafia uh, topics. Uh, if you'd like to uh, listen to more of our podcasts, you can find us on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. Um, we may be expanding to other platforms, but we will see. Uh, if you'd like to reach out to us with any comments or topics that you'd like us to cover or just tips for us, opinions, anything, uh, there will be posts with each episode uh, on the subreddit r slash actual lesbians. Um, you can also find our podcast at rss.com slash podcasts slash queerly. Um, otherwise, just look up queerly a podcast on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and you'll find us there. Hopefully the next episode will be a out a week after this one. And um, we hope to... See you all next week. Bye.